Lastly, Lord, I just want to lift up Charlie to you as he brings your word this morning. I am so grateful for this man. He is such a dear friend to me, a dear brother in Christ, and one who can preach the word of God in such a powerful way, such an authentic way. God, I ask that you would use him this morning in our hearts and lives. Lord, we ask that you would help clear out our minds of anything other than what you would have to say to us this morning so that we can hear your truth into our lives and walk out of here refreshed and renewed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of a a new series called Entrusted. And the idea here is that we have put our trust in Christ. You have put your trust in God. But God has also entrusted you with certain things. And the question is, what are those things and what are we doing with them? Now, I want to give you a chance to, to embarrass you a little bit. Raise your hand if you have ever acted before, maybe in college or high school, or even here at Grace Church. Raise your hand. I don't mean acted badly. I mean, yeah, okay. All right, good, good, good. Acted out. Nope, not not, not, not one of that. How about singing or music? How many of you play a musical instrument or sing? Raise your hands. We're not going to recruit you for the worship team. Don't worry, just be honest. All right. What about, let's see, oh, athletic ability. How about that? How many of you have ever either now or earlier in your life, way, way back, you were in college or high school athletics. Raise your hand. All right, good job. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't want you to raise your hands because this might be a little embarrassing. How many of you would say of yourselves, I have no talent whatsoever? Well, there are people that think that. Maybe in some situations, in some areas, you kind of say that of yourself. You look at other people and you compare yourself. You say, I don't have anywhere near the talent that person has, or my talent is nothing compared to such and such, right? Well, when I was in the fourth grade, um, they gave all of us kids a test to find out if we had any musical ability. And I did well enough on the test that the music teacher pushed me to join the band. They kind of didn't give me a choice. And so, yeah, I did okay playing an instrument in the band, um, but I wasn't great at it. But as I got older, it turned out that I could sing. And singing was something I was pretty good at. So I joined the school chorus, and I joined the church choir, and I started singing in talent shows, took voice lessons, and eventually I kind of graduated from singing with groups to singing solos. And so... um, I would sing at people's weddings and sing at people's funerals. You know, as I got older, it was kind of like weddings in the early part, and nowadays it's all funerals, right? So, and, um, and I started when I was a teenager to begin thinking, you know, I could make a career of this. I could be the next Mick Jagger. And, you know, I mean, look at me. There's kind of a resemblance, don't you think? I don't have the British accent, but... Now, this was way before the TV shows like America's Got Talent and The Voice and So You Think You Can Dance. I can't dance, by the way. American Idol, The X Factor, all those shows. And I I, I really think that if I had been born 40 years earlier, I would have taken America's Got Talent by storm. Absolutely. I could have had class. I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender instead of a bum. You don't understand, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. So that's Marlon Brando and Rod Steiger, a very young Marlon Brando before The Godfather. 
in the 1958 movie, 54 movie, excuse me, On the Waterfront. If you've never seen it, it's a great movie. And so the idea that talent can get you someplace, can lift you up out of the, the bad life and give you the good life is not something new. It's something that's been around for a long time. I think maybe it's become something of an obsession these days, maybe driven by all these shows, maybe by something else. But, you know, parents at a very early age grab their kids and try to discern what talents they've got and they give them every opportunity to excel, to do well, so that when they get to that place, they'll be able to be among the, the upper 1% and grab a hold of the, the capabilities, all the things that they're capable of. Jesus said, though, that every one of us has been entrusted with God by talent, or trusted by God with talents. And he wasn't talking about singing or dancing or musicianship or gymnastics, although there's nothing wrong at all with those things. The talents that God is talking about, that we're going to be talking about today, are not the sort of talents that will get you on the cover of the Rolling Stone. The talents and opportunities God has entrusted to us will probably not make us famous but they will make an eternal difference in God's kingdom. Okay, so the talents God has entrusted to you and to me will make a difference in God's kingdom. So let's jump right in. Let's find out what the Bible has to say about talents. Now, maybe you have a talent for getting yourself into trouble. That's one way to think about talents. In the South, where I grew up, they say, there ain't no talent in that, which means that's a waste of your time. Talent's used in a lot of ways. What does the Bible mean when it talks about the word talent? He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. That's, of course, the famous Spaniard swordsman, Diego Montoya, giving my favorite line from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Talent. What does it mean? What does the Bible mean about it? Way back, way, way back in the beginning of the English language, the word talent was actually borrowed from the word that's used in Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about talents. He gives a parable about talents. And so we're going to start out there today. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 25:14, or if you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be up here on the screen, or you can turn on your smartphone or your smart device and go to mygrace.church click on the tab that says sermon notes and you'll find it there. Now I'm going to be reading from a different version today than you're used to. It's called the English Standard Version and I'm reading from that one because it uses the word talent. But before we get started, let me give you kind of the setup of what's happening in Matthew 25. Jesus is giving three parables and all three parables in Matthew 25 talk about something about heaven. Uh, the first parable, um, the point of it is Always be ready. Always be ready for the possibility that Jesus will return or that God will take you home at a moment without your, without your knowing when it's going to happen. Always be ready. Always live in such a way so that you're ready to meet Christ at any time. That's the first parable. The third parable says God is going to evaluate our lives based on how we treated people, especially the poorest people, especially prisoners, the sick, people who don't have enough, the insignificant people of the world, God will evaluate us, judge us, by how we treated those people. And then the middle story is where talents are mentioned. 
It's a story about responsibility and opportunity and taking risks. So let's read it, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and I gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at the, my coming you should have, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's a pretty tough parable. It says some hard things. This wealthy man is going on a long trip. He doesn't know when he's going to come back again. He has servants, and so he divides up his wealth among the servants, and the responsibility of the servants, they're still on the payroll, is to do what's necessary to make it possible for this wealthy man's estate to flourish while he's gone. And so two of them made use of the wealth the master entrusted to him, and they took risks that they hoped would benefit the master. The third let his fear and caution get the better of him. And so he hoarded what he had been entrusted with, and he played it safe. The master, of course, in this story is God. And he says something kind of surprising. He says, the responsibilities and the work that we'll be given in heaven will depend on how well we handle things that God has entrusted to us here on earth. Now, do you know you're going to have work to do in heaven? You're not just going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That's especially good for those of you who don't know how to play harps. I don't know how to play a harp. I'd be lost. God has responsibilities. God has work for us to do in his kingdom. Eternity is a long time, and God is preparing us now for various responsibilities he's going to give us then. And this parable says that the ones who invested the talents well, that Jesus says um, because they did so well, God was going to entrust them with even more. So what does he mean by that? 
Now the word talent that Jesus uses in this parable meant a specific quantity of money. I quoted the ESV so that the word talent is more clear, but most modern translations come up with a descriptive way to describe this, so uh, uh, to translate this. So the New Living translates it as bags of silver. A talent, instead of saying he gave him five talents, he says give him five bags of silver. The New Living Translation translates it as bags of gold. The Message Translation translates it as a thousand dollars per talent. The British J.B. Phillips' translation says a thousand pounds. Somewhere, way back in the history of the English language, this word talent, which was pulled out of this parable, came to mean something more. It came to mean something not money-related, but gifts and abilities, special abilities that each of us have. And we think these days in terms of talents as musical ability, artistic ability, um, the ability to cook well, those kinds of things, right? And Jesus is not saying that's not true, but he's making a more general point. He's not literally talking about bags of money, first of all, and he's not specifically talking about talent the way we think of it. The parable of the talents is about resources that God gives us, responsibilities that God gives us, opportunities that God brings before us where we can serve him during the time before he returns. Does that mean God doesn't really care about your creative talents? Well, no, not at all. Not at all. He uses those things too. You can take a look at this passage from the book of Exodus, for instance, Exodus 35. Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving, mounting gemstones, carving wood. He's mastered every craft, and the Lord has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and designers. The point of this was that God was about to build his temple, his tabernacle. And so he had raised up specific people with specific gifts to be able to lead the work, the creative work that God had laid out to build this temple. I'll just say, by the way, to you, those of you young mothers here, if you're uh, looking for good Bible names for your kids, Aholiab, Ahisamach, and Bezalel are not used very much, and you might consider that. <laughs> so Bezalel's skills, it says, were given to him by the Spirit of God, and God endows all of us with gifts because of his Holy Spirit. Or take a look at the story of Daniel and his friends when they were in captivity. Daniel says, The book of Daniel says, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave that to them. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Why did God do that for them? Well, they were taken captivity into Babylon. And because of these gifts and abilities, they became very special advisors to the king of Babylon, trusted right-hand men to the king of Babylon. And as a result of that, because of the trust that the king had in them, when Israel started into a time of famine, they were able to ask the king to provide help for Israel. And he said, yes, we'll do that. Because 
of the relationship that they had built with him through the gifts and talents that God had given to them. So when we speak about being entrusted by God with talents, there's a specific way of thinking about it and a general way also to understand it. And both are correct. Earlier, remember, we talked about gifts of the Spirit, things like uh, teaching and serving and administration and helping others. Those are gifts that God gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives each of us. God's also given us creative skills and abilities. And if the parable of the talents teaches us anything, it's that God wants us to put those abilities to use, serving him. But even if you're not a concert pianist, even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, even if you couldn't draw a convincing likeness of a bowling ball if your life depended on it, (laughs) God has entrusted you with a life That's one of your talents. You have life. God has also entrusted you with a body and a mind with which you can serve him, with which you can put your faith into action. And he's given you relationships with people, with parents, with children, with cousins, with coworkers, with school friends, with neighbors, all of whom you can live out your faith among them so that you can, they can see what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, your entire life and the particular circumstances that you find yourselves in are talents that God has given you so that you can serve him until he returns. So how are you using them? You ever gotten stage fright before? Maybe you've never been on stage. You haven't, I don't know. Um, when I first started singing solos, I had terrible stage fright. I would panic. Uh, My throat would tighten up. Um, I would shake uncontrollably. I would sweat buckets. It was awful. (laughs) I would even forget the words of the song I was singing. And I had developed a reputation for being able to make up words on the fly to songs because I'd forgotten what I was supposed to be saying. Um, And when you're doing a solo, you can do that. When you sing with a choir, it's not so good. In the first service, I said um, that I actually hate standing up here and preaching. Well, my wife pointed out to me that that's kind of a hyperbole. I don't really hate it. But I'm not exactly in my comfort zone when I'm here preaching. I'm an introvert. I would rather be way back there somewhere. I'd rather be at the back. I don't like having everybody staring at me. But it's not, I'm not in my comfort zone, and it used to terrify me, but now I've gotten over the terror a little bit. Now it just makes me uncomfortable. Fear. Fear is one of the big things there in Matthew 24. It was the thing that motivated the servant that had trouble. So let's take a look at that. Matthew 24, 25, excuse me, verses 24 through 25. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. He was afraid. What was he afraid of? Well, he was afraid of failing. He's afraid of disappointing his master, not living up to the expectations he thought the master had of him. He was afraid of not doing well enough with the responsibility that the master had given him. And ironically, his fear of failure led him to fail, didn't it? Fear can be crippling. If I share my faith with my coworker, or my school friend, will they still like me? 
That's one fear. If I volunteer at the Gospel Rescue Mission or Tucson's uh, Homeless Connect, will I be safe? If I go on a mission trip to Kenya, will I have to eat bugs or use a squat toilet? Those are real fears. It's easy to let fear defeat us even before God has a chance to put the talents that we have to use. We say to ourselves, I just don't know the Bible well enough to be able to teach third graders. Or, I could never stand in front of the church and share what God's doing in my life. It's too scary. Or, what could I possibly say to a bunch of people who just got out of prison? I don't have anything in common with them. Remember, the Apostle Paul, who wrote all these letters in the latter part of the New Testament, he left Judea, he left Israel, and traveled to the city after city in Asia where he preached the good news to people who were sometimes hostile, sometimes not very receptive. They sometimes threw him in jail, in fact. They sometimes created riots. He discipled men and women. He started churches. And in the second letter to the Corinthians, somebody asked him to justify why it was, under whose authority he was doing these things. And this is what he said. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on hearts of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. And that last verse is the one I want us to think about a little bit. It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Paul's boldness, Paul's fearlessness to travel to strange lands and preach the gospel in places where they ate weird foods and believed weird things came out of his certainty that God had equipped him with everything he needed to be able to go and do that, that God was going to help him, that he'd been given an opportunity and he needed to act boldly, that God had qualified him, made him qualified to do the work he was going to do. The two servants that pleased God took the responsibilities the master gave them and they exercised them boldly. They took risks. They may have been afraid. We don't know that they weren't. They may have been afraid of failing. They may have been afraid of disappointing the master, but they didn't let their fears slow them down or stop them. They faced real difficulties. I mean, they invested in a real marketplace where they may well have lost everything. They had no control over the market. They weren't financial wizards but they saw themselves as doing their master's work with their master's authority, and so they went all in. They gave it all they had. Elsewhere, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Does that mean we never fear? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. Fear is human. Fear is a part of life. Um, it's a healthy, natural response to danger. But sometimes fear comes about because we just don't trust God or trust the people around us or trust that things will be safe. 
you're walking along a path and you come upon something that looks like this, well, you might feel a little fear and that might be sensible. Or you see something like this, you might feel a little fear and that would just show that you're not insane. But what if Jesus came up to you at that very moment and said to you, don't worry, I'll carry you across that bridge. What would you do? How would you feel? Or what if, just like with Peter, Jesus says to you sometime, step out of the boat onto the water. Give it a try. The other thing we have to do with the talents that God has given us is pay them forward. In 2000, a movie came out called Pay It Forward. And it's about this guy named Trevor, an 11-year-old boy who's challenged by his high school, not high school, his school teacher to... um, come up with a plan of action that will make the world a better place. The whole class is given this responsibility, this this project. And Trevor's idea is this. He would go out and he would find three complete strangers and he would do some act of kindness for them. And the the deal would be this. They They wouldn't pay him back. But instead, they would go themselves and find three more strangers and would do some act of kindness for them and pay it forward. And by doing that, this whole thing would become a geometric exercise of kindness, starting kindness, birthing more kindness. And he thought that this would change the attitudes of people in his city and might change the world. The most valuable talent that God has given us is our faith our salvation in Christ, our hope, our belief that God has saved us and God is directing our lives. And that's something that he wants us to pay forward to other people. He wrote a letter, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to um, a young pastor he was teaching, a man named Timothy. And at one point, Paul challenges Timothy this way. He says, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So he says, you've been entrusted with the things that I've taught you, Timothy. Now pay it forward. Pay it forward. Don't hoard it. Don't hide it. Don't bury it. Don't just use it for yourself. Don't just say to yourself, I'm glad I've been saved but take responsibility for paying it forward to others. Paul was in prison at this time. He was nearing the end of his life. He was about to be executed. He was thinking about what's going to happen after I'm gone? Who's going to carry on this ministry? And so he tells Timothy, don't bury these things I've taught you, but put them to use. Put these talents to use. Timothy himself met the Lord because his mother and his grandmother had come to faith and they shared their faith with him. And then Paul came alongside and began teaching Timothy as well. And so now it's Timothy's turn to pass on what he's learned to others. So what the parable of the talents tells us is that until the master returns, you and I are supposed to be busy paying forward this treasure of grace and love that Jesus has so richly and generously given it to us. We've been given a life. You've been given a life in which to serve your master God. You've been given bodies and voices with which to love others, talents and skills with which to build God's kingdom. And as good servants, God wants us to boldly and generously and without hesitation and with as little fear as possible, trust him and put those talents to use. And I actually see us doing that 
in a lot of different situations, a lot of different circumstances in your lives. That's really cool. Um, I see us putting our talents and our resources to use here in the church and in the broader community at Grace. Rob and Cindy Baker recently had an opportunity to do some work with an uh, organization called Tucson Homeless Connect, and I thought I would invite them up here to talk a little bit about what that's all about. Oh, there she is. What they did and um, what they saw God doing through them in that. Come on up, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Tucson Homeless Connect. Now, there's something like 30,000 or so homeless people in Arizona every year, from what I read. And they are people who live on the streets, some of them, men and women, children, who live in cars, who live in shelters, who for various reasons uh, have very little money and no shelter, no adequate shelter, oftentimes poor health care. What does Tucson Homeless Connect do and how does it work with these people? How does it help these people? Well, it's a community-wide um, pooling of resources. So all organizations that provide services for homeless come to one spot. Um, so there's opportunities for all kinds of social services to be provided, as well as um, getting a driver's license, getting copy of a birth certificate, taking care of, there's homeless court. Um, DES sets up to be able to get food stamps if they qualify. There's um, housing opportunities, lots and lots of veterans. Sadly, we know that a lot of the homeless are veterans. Um, and so there's all those things are provided and mostly churches come alongside to serve. Um, Scott and Stacy Meyer kind of got things started here um, to enlist volunteers, but churches from around the city come together um, to come and try and help however we are able. Okay. What did you do, Rob, at uh, the Homeless Connect this time? This was your first time there, right? Yeah, this was the <clears throat> my first time there, and so I went with Cindy. I talked to Scott, and um, um, a little bit scared of uh, homeless people. Not not because I thought they would hurt me or physically hurt me, but just sort of the irrationality and some of the other things that that might come the unpredictability. Um, but I went anyway, and uh, I arrived and. And I had faith, and they stuck a walkie-talk in my hand right away and grabbed me and threw me on a van and said, go to the haircut place, Dunbar's. So you had to use a walkie-talkie. Have you ever used a walkie-talkie before? Did you feel com com uh, you know, competent to use a walkie-talkie? That's pretty tough. They just threw you right in there and gave you a walkie-talkie. Well, it's a citywide walkie-talkie, walkie and it reminded me of Chick. And so I was security at Chick about eight, six, eight, ten years ago, and that gave me actually a huge amount of comfort. <laughs> I sent home the only student um, that went home from Chick that year, um, and it was it was a good relationship. We were very friendly. I took him out to the airport. Um, so, um, yeah, surprisingly, the, the walkie-talkie was comforting. You know, you're a you're a doctor of veterinary science. You you cure animals, and you showed up at this place and you gave haircuts. So they weren't expecting a lot of you, were they? <laughs> Surprisingly, I, had, I was busy. I was working up a sweat. Um, so I had to keep a list of guys and, and gals to make sure that they got. We kept everything in order because eight at a time would show up. Um, the students were very busy, so I had to sweep hair up on the floor, and um, 
And as a final reward, they gave me the spiffy haircut that yeah. I now sport. Looks good. Looks good. I like it. I like it. It's good. What? Um, so the services provided there, they provide medical services, they provide, uh, as you say, legal services, all sorts of, it's kind of a combination of faith-based things and secular kinds of a things? It's mostly secular, though, it, because it's church people that are helping okay. as guides. That okay. was my role, was I was a guide. So we just kind of lined up at the door, and as as people came in, we greeted them and then they had a list of things that they were, as they registered, they were asked to check off what they needed. Um, and so as those, um, as they would come up, then if you were next in line, you took the next person. And so um, some people needed to make sure that they got to the homeless court to be able to talk to the judge to take care of legal situation and that was their number one thing. Other people had housing issues or needed food stamps or, um, the gentleman that I spent a large point, large, large portion of time with um, that day was um, a vet that had struggled and was in and out of trouble with the law, and he and he didn't have a driver's license. He needed that, so we there were actual ADOT people there that were charming and wonderful. I keep thinking I should write a note because they really were quite lovely instead of the reputation they had. And, um, but they provided that for him. And as we sat and chatted, he needed to be able to get this ticket taken care of. And then he said, well, I had food stamps for a short bit, but I've just recently been declared a disabled vet. You know, he had the paperwork for that. And I said, well, then ask again, because I bet you you can get them now. So we went there. So I kind of walked through all of it with him, but I would leave, you know, as we were waiting for his turn for court, I would help three or four people find where they were trying to go up and down the three flights of stairs um, and then come back to him. I just kept coming back. There was just a connection that we made in just chatting mm -hmm. that it seemed like that respect that was yeah. being shown by just talking to him and spending time with him was more what he needed than all of those other things that were a perk as well. But I think he, I just got the sense that he needed and wanted what I could give him in just giving him some of my time mm -hmm. and talking to him. So that turned out to be a really, a really powerful thing for me. And on the way home, and we went and had lunch afterwards, and as we were talking, I said, you know, this one guy in particular, and I told Rob his name, he goes, oh, he came and got a haircut, I chatted with him too. <laughs> and so he had gone through the whole process, and then the last thing, he got on the van and went for a haircut. And so Rob had talked with him, and he had no idea who we were, but it was just, it just seemed like such a powerful moment that we were given, because we both had that time to just share I mean, all I was doing was walking around and chatting with him. I could do that with anybody. But it was, I didn't do much of anything other than just show that I was there sure. to help him. Sure. And that was really well received. Mm -hmm. You used the opportunity the, to, of being there just to serve. Right. Yeah. Rob, you said you were kind of scared at the beginning. How did you feel at the end? And, and how did you see God working through all of that? Um, well, I had faith because uh, God has dropped me into unusual situations before and um, and been there. So that's it's worked out. Not not how I expected, of course, but um, it worked out. And you know, as I sat at sort of exhausted at the end of this, I kept thinking, you know, how did this work? And I thought, you know, everybody was very respectful of each other. The 
the, the clients, the students, the instructors, the drivers. It, it, there was a sense of camaraderie and, and respect and, and mutual respect between each other and we worked together and we joked and, and it, it, felt, it felt good because I'm used to that feeling but it felt like that was something that everybody really enjoyed and needed and, and was maybe just giving them the respect and the politeness and, and then them also returning it was, was where God was in that, in that moment. Yeah, you said that you thought probably they don't get that sort of respect, that sort of care and attention normally and it was a, a real uplifting thing for them. Yeah, yeah you hit it, Charlie. I mean, I think that that's it. I, my guess is their day-to-day, when they're walking down the street, pushing a mm-hmm. cart or any of those things, sure. people avoid them sure. and they're not respectful to them. Um, they get beat up and killed sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's probably yeah. pretty powerful for them to have that, that, so. that respect and love. Thanks. I appreciate you sharing it. appreciate you doing that and letting us hear about it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are all sorts of opportunities, all sorts of times when you lead us into circumstances that we can avoid because we're fearful, we can avoid because we're uncomfortable. And yet, if we go all in, if we take advantage of those situations, those circumstances, those responsibilities you give us, We see you work through us. We see you work through the people that we care for. You have given us talents, and we sometimes think too narrowly about talents. We think in terms of a special ability when what we really should be thinking about is you have given us life and a relationship with you, a saving faith. What do we do now? What do you want us to do with it? How do you want us to pay it forward? How do you want us to reach out and use that in the community of people that we see every day? Lord, as we think about that during the next few days and weeks, I pray that you will give us the boldness to act as those two um, servants did, to, to not let our fears hobble us, but to go all in and to really try to serve you in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And I pray that you'll just open our eyes up to the fact that we have a wide world of opportunity in which to be your witnesses to our faith. Show us how to make use of that. Draw us closer to you. And at every point we might be afraid, Father, let us come to you and say, Father, Take away our fear. Don't let this spirit of fear dominate us, but instead give us a spirit of confidence that you can lead us, that you can use us. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to think a little bit about the ways in which you've given us these talents, and I pray that that you will bless the rest of our day and give us joy in the knowledge of your presence and your working in us. In Jesus' name, amen.